0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Doster TO Fanta Podcast. That is the DTF Podcast. It is Monday morning, February seventh. My name is Rob Doster. I have with me Clemson's own Terrence Oglesby and the one and only John Fanta. It was another wild weekend in college basketball. We are presented by our partners over at Bet River Sportsbook. Uh, so let's dive into it, guys. How we doing? How was your weekend?
1: Great weekend, great weekend. I got to do the. I felt like we stayed on the live stream forever on Saturday, but it was just such a good day of games. Uh, I had a great time, great weekend, and then woke up on Sunday, saw some uh, pretty good action, not as many games. It was, uh, I think, I'm not going to say it was quality over quantity, but there were some, definitely some good games on Sunday. So, overall, great four or five days of games. Uh, so much fun to pay attention to, so much fun to watch and to talk about, obviously. Uh, I can't wait to get in some of these buildings, man. I'm, I'm really excited about seeing some some big-time venues. Yep. Yep.
2: Terrific weekend. And I'll tell you what, on Saturday, I really zone in on one conference. I zone in on the SEC, which we've talked about over the last couple of weeks, gentlemen. And I really looked at what Auburn and Georgia that game and, and the fact that Auburn squeaks by. And and then I look at Kentucky and I watch them closely Saturday night. And you guys alluded to it on After Dark Saturday night. The Wildcats are on a roll. And We've got a backcourt that's found themselves an elite big man in Oscar Shibuye. Uh, I'll tell you what, it was an interesting Saturday in the sport. I think we anticipated some even more drama, but it was a statement Saturday by different leagues and different teams. And I know we'll get to it, but I, I think we are in a beautiful time of year right now. We're less than two weeks away from the bracket reveal of those top 16 teams from the selection committee Now we're really diving into bubble talk and there's going to be bubble talk because there's, this is a really active bubble, but uh, we still have that thing that, that holds down. Like there are a number of teams that could come away with a national championship and Mm -hmm. I'm ready for the ride guys. I am buckled in for this roller coaster. I think it's going to be a lot of fun.
0: Yep. It's going to be, uh, it's going to be a great March. I'm really, really excited for what we have in store for this March. I'm really excited for what Field of 68 has in store for March. I can't quite tell you guys exactly what it's going to end up being yet, but I promise you, you are going to want to stay tuned uh, to these channels and to these networks. All right, so what we're doing today, it's a little game called Hot or Not. I have 10 takes written down. I'm going to give them to Fanta and T.O., and they're going to tell me whether or not they are hot takes. We have five minutes per question to answer it. Are you guys ready? We got five minutes on the timer again, baby. Here we yes. go. First one. Gonzaga has become the most underrated and overlooked team in college basketball. Is that a hot take, Tio?
1: I think it's possible. I think their flaws are still their flaws. The only thing is, out of sight, out of mind, when they don't play anybody of any significance, and I know the West Coast Conference got a lot of love here early, but let's be honest. They're still wiping out everybody by significant margins. Their issues are still the issues. The thing is is Chet Holmgren's figuring it out offensively. And that's something that at the beginning of the year, you could see flashes of that kind of potential. But now they're bringing him down as a trail man and finding out where he's best within the offense is becoming more and more confident with his jump shot. He has been really, really good. And they are on a roll. The only problem is, and it's been a problem for them for a long time, who are they going to really play of any consequence? St. Mary's is number 17 in Kempom, but let's Call it what it is. Some of these numbers are inflated because they play in that West Coast Conference. I still love this team. I love where Chet Holmgren is going. You're shooting 46% from three and you're finding more ways to get him involved. They're going to be dangerous.
2: Okay, so I think it is a hot take because I treat Gonzaga seriously and maybe I'm a contrarian for that. And you could say, well, everybody treats them seriously now. They've won more than anybody over the last couple of years. But I do think the casual fans like, yeah, they always win. They don't play in a, in a, you know, like they don't play in a league like the the SEC or like the Big Twelve or like the Big Ten. So I don't, I don't treat them seriously until March rolls around, and they can never win the big one. Like those takes are going to live with Gonzaga until they win the big one. It's just the reality of sport. For me, guys, the question was overlooked, underrated team, right, Rob? Mm-hmm. So when I think of overlooked. I'm going to say that nobody is talking nationally about the sixth ranked team in America. And that's Houston. I think that they're the most overlooked team in America because they went through injuries. They, they don't play in a particularly good league. The American is not a good league. And we look at them and we're like, yeah, but can we treat them seriously in March? And I think the answer still, I think if you ask, could you take Houston seriously? as a final four contender, the majority of people would say, no, yet they are ranked six in the country and they're 22 on the season. So that's why I say Houston, as opposed to Gonzaga, because I think when you look at their ranking and their record, it is not in correlation with what we actually think they'll be come March madness.
0: Yeah, I, I, I get what you're saying, Fanta, but it's very hard for me to take a team seriously when you lose your two best players. Um, I, I maybe maybe that's a little. I don't want to say I don't take them seriously, but seriously as a national title contender, when you lose your two best guys, they're going to be good because they defend, they work their ass off, and they they rebound the ball. But um, they kind of are what they are. As far as Gonzaga is concerned, I want to see Chet do this against somebody that's a little bit better than BYU's front line or San Francisco's yeah. front line or St. Mary's front line or Portland's front line. Like that, he's he he's. He's different. He's different than anything that we've seen in college basketball in a long, long time. Uh, but he is also now beating up on guys that are mid-major recruits for a reason. Let's be frank. So, um, but I will say this: you, you know, when you we, if you look at Ken Palm's efficiency margins, they are further ahead of the field this year on Ken Palm than they were ahead of the field last year. Then them and Baylor were ahead of the field last year on Ken Palm. Uh, they have a front court that is a pair of All-Americans. They have one of, if not the best rim protector in all of college basketball in Chet Holden. And they have a coach that's figured out how to get people to uh, do the things that you need to be able to do to run the, an elite offense. And they have good guard play. And they shoot it this year. It, it's, I think that this team might be better suited towards making a run in a national title if for no other reason they don't have that other team that is kind of at that same peak as them. Um, I don't know if I'd call them overrated or, or overlooked, though, or underrated or overlooked. Just because, I mean, it is what it is. You play in the WCC, people stop paying attention. It doesn't. They're on the West Coast and they're playing team. They're playing games that don't matter. It's just this is what's going to happen with for Gonzaga until they get into the Pac-12 or the Mountain West or anywhere anywhere else. Uh, Fancy. You got something to say? You got 20 seconds left before this buzzer
2: goes off. You can't take into account what Julian Strother Foley means to this team. I think that he is invaluable both on both ends of the floor. He's a reason why they're top ten in defense. So look, they're incredibly balanced, and that balance could lead them to cutting down the nets.
0: Yeah, I agree. All right, we uh we finished this one with five seconds to spare. All right, to we're going to uh to to take number two, AJ Griffin, not Paolo Banquero, is the key to Duke's national title chances this season. To I'm going to you first on this one. Oh, that's a good one.
1: That is a good one. His emergence as yet another go-to player for Duke is ridiculous. Uh, The fact that they have so many. I do think eventually uh, it's going to come down to Paolo Bancaro because that's who they go to whenever they need something at the end of the clock. That's who they go to in the mid-post whenever they're six or seven, uh, whenever they're in a cold spell. At the end of the games, they go to Paolo Bancaro. He's still the most important player because he's the guy that has the physical gifts to score over almost anybody in the country. I think A.J. Griffin's emergence puts them in as if not the favorite to win the national championship, but right there, because guys, they have so many scores on that team between him, Trevor Keels, and Ben Carroll. Like A.J. Griffin, his performance against Carolina was remarkable. He is that extra spurt. I don't think he's quite as important as Ben Carroll because Ben Carroll is a guy they go to when they absolutely need something in the offense.
2: I think it's an accurate take. I I think that that with the amount of attention that Ben Carroll garners and Will Garner in the second weekend of the NCAA tournament, because I have Duke getting there, they're too good to, to stumble early in my humble opinion this year, too good defensively. I think you need to, to have that, that guy that you can count on to get you scoring bursts. And A.J. Griffin is that dude and was that dude against Carolina and has been over the last three games for the Blue Devils. Unique in size at six foot six, the ability to hit perimeter shots, which has been a big thing with Duke this year when they're knocking down perimeter shots. Like when they hit six threes in a game, it's like nine or 10 threes for a different team because they defend at such a high level. So I think it's an accurate take by Doster. Uh I think AJ Griffin is the key for Duke ceiling.
1: Can I, can I throw a curveball into this one? I think the key to this Duke team is Mark Williams. Because defensively, as soon as he comes out of the game, rim protection completely changes. Paolo Carroll, for all he is offensively, not a great off-ball defender. I think that's been the knock on him so far this year. Uh, but Mark Williams, you see the difference in the team whenever he's in the game versus out of the game. You saw it when he got two fouls against Louisville. Louisville makes their run. He comes back in, they're a completely different ball club. Because of the rim pressure offensively and defensively, nobody can score over top of him. He has been tremendous for that Duke team as well.
0: Yeah, so the the reason i phrased it the way that i did the key is that i think that he is the piece that kind of unlocks their potential in the sense that you now have a guy you cannot leave on the perimeter you just can't. he's shooting 50 percent from three on on 72 attempts right it's it's not a fluke at this point i know that stroke looks weird uh someone the other day said that he's he is the jump shot equivalent of jeff bagwell's batting stance you know how he's got the legs like way too i like wide. that that's pretty good i like that a lot yeah so i think that was uh, i think that was matt penny from um from the game theory podcast i cannot remember who said it though so uh, i hope i'm crediting crediting that correctly but uh it, his shooting ability is what opens everything up because if you look at the rest of that duke roster wendell moore shoots 40 percent from three at his best as a slasher trevor keels hits a bunch of pull-ups at his best putting the ball on the floor, getting a guy on the hip, making a play at the rim. Paolo Bancaro can knock down jumpers. You want him in and around the basket, in and around the paint, taking advantage of his length and athleticism. Mark Williams, he's not doing anything outside of about six feet. So being able to pull people away, create a little bit of space, get a little bit of breathing room for some of these other guys in the paint, I think is what's going to make be the, the, the difference between Duke being great and Duke being a team like they were in 2019 when they had all this talent. And then they got into the tournament and uh, Taco Fall was able to guard Trey Jones and just stand in front of the rim kind of a deal. Yep. So to me, it, that, that's why I think he ends up being the key because we didn't see him until what, like about really about two months ago, really kind of take off. So uh, that's where I'm at with it. Well, right now, Duke is the second favorite team to we got about a minute left here. Uh, do you think that's right? Uh, according to Bet Rivers, they are the second best team or second most likely team to international title.
1: Well, I, I saw a graphic that Fox Sports put out the other day. It was something like there's over the last 10 or 15 years, the team that wins the national championship is top 15 in both offense and defense. I, I can't remember exactly. The, don't hold me to that. But they have that. They're 11th in offense, 15th in defense. I think matchup for matchup against whoever they play, they're going to have some mismatches in their favor. And exception of maybe two games, unless they play Auburn or unless they play Gonzaga, I think they have the, the best pro, pro- prospect. Uh, on the floor at all times and that stuff matters and, and it probably will have the them. best
0: player on the floor at all times for the most part
1: right yeah it's paolo so uh, that's um, kind of what i was alluding to but but yeah, yeah it's it's they are so talented and there's just guys around them that also have that spurt ability kind of what you're referring to with uh aj griffin fanta yeah
2: yeah i think griffin's the key to that feeling
1: not a what, great the, i don't know the, i don't know what we have better we, not, there's better not a, alarms
0: not, a great, there's alarm. better not alarms a great alarm on your
1: phone not yeah there great. is
0: i did i did i did, the problem was i got i got i started it too late and i didn't want to start testing it after we actually hit record on the pod that would have been weird mm-hmm. so you're just gonna have to deal with my shitty alarms yo See, that, um, alarm
2: before, not, that alarm would would keep me asleep like i'm a bear when i'm sleeping that would not wake me up i have i
0: have two kids man i haven't needed an alarm to wake myself up in like three years no right. kidding.
1: <laughs> yeah. No kidding. Wait for it one day, Fanta. Wait for yeah, it. My yeah, daughter yeah. is a human alarm clock. She comes in there at six in the morning every day. Hey daddy. Yeah. I Did also
0: have a the- I also have a dog that decides to go to the bathroom every morning at 4 30. So I, I sleep <laughs> sleep does not exist uh at Field of <laughs> a 16 parenting pod. Feel the yeah,
2: 16 co- parenting pod. Did that's the next, was-
0: that's the next one. All right. Um before we get into the next hot take, I just want to let you guys know about Nord VPN. What's more important than peace of mind, TO? Nothing is more important than peace of mind. And that's what NordVPN is here for, to give you peace of mind while you are online. And with all of the threats that you face today on the internet, it is more important than ever to be sure that you have the best VPN that you can get. NordVPN is the world's best VPN service, offering the fastest connectivity, most servers, and next-gen encryption to make sure that everything you do online stays secure. And we all know that what Fanta does online, you need that to stay secure secures. Plus, <laughs> you can use NordVPN on all of your computers and all of your devices, no matter the operating system. With NordVPN's unlimited bandwidth, you never have to worry about a slow connection either. And plans start at just under $4 a month. So grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com slash BLEAV, or use the code B-L-E-A-V, that's believe. E L E A V to get up to 70% off your Nord VPN plus uh, Nord VPN plan plus one additional month for free. It's also risk-free with Nord's 30-day money back guarantee. That's NordVPN.com backslash believe.
1: All right. Here's Did you have your alarm three. set for that ad read? Was that a five-minute <laughs> ad read? Yeah, we, we got it right. <laughs> under this the podcast 16th? must be doing great. This we podcast must be doing
0: great. We got it right <laughs> under the 60-second window. Boom. Uh, all right, here's here's take number three. North Carolina will miss the NCAA tournament if they do not beat Duke in Cameron Indoor Stadium on March 5th. Fanta, you go ahead. You're our bubble guy. You're our bubble guy this week.
2: Well, I don't think they're going to beat Duke at Cameron Indoor Stadium. I still think they could make the NCAA tournament. So, so if you're requiring a win at Duke, to make the tournament, I'm going to say that that's too hot of a take because too if they hot. win out and then they, in the in the ACC tournament, if they make the semifinals, you're probably good enough to, to still make it because you got to field 68 teams somehow. Yep. What why is a hot name? name? What that's is a hot name? Fanta. What's that?
0: That's why we have this name.
2: That's why we have this name. And let me tell you something right now. What is a hot take? Is the narrative that they're definitely a tournament team. They're definitely in. They're definitely going to make it. There are no definites about a bubble team. There are no definites about a bubble team. You can't start making definitive statements when you are firmly on the bubble. Because there's not a soul making that about Wyoming. Because they're Wyoming. And they don't generate the television dollars and the ratings that North Carolina does. Hold on, hold
0: on, hold on. You're, you're, you're cutting on to hot take number nine here okay so let's let's save the Wyoming conversation all right but stick to North Carolina I'm, I'm gonna give you the floor you can have the whole five minutes for part number nine that, p- that pissed Wyoming. you off
1: when Jay Billis said they were a tournament team huh
2: I, I like Jay and I think yeah. Jay, Jay's one of the standard analysts I think everybody's critical of national analysts all the time. It's easy for them to say Jay Billis is is one of the he's the main ESPN analyst for a reason mm. but I just don't think it's fair. You know, I, I, and, and I like Jay and I think he's a good analyst. So I want to clarify that again, but I don't think that that particular observation is, is very fair because North Carolina does not have a single win that makes you say, wow, wow. They showed themselves that day. Now they, don't, do they, they
0: haven't beaten a team that's top 50 in the net. They've exactly. Virginia tech at home. They beat Michigan at home. Their third best win right now to I'm sorry. I'm going to say this is Furman at home. And when your third best win is Furman at home, that A-B-Z. probably that, that probably puts you in a situation where it's like, yeah, you know what? You got more shit to do if you want to be in this tournament.
2: Yes. And there's not, there's not a lot of placement, T.O., for you to do that stuff when you're in a conference that doesn't have a lot of high caliber opportunities on the schedule.
1: And here's the, here's the problem. You said, well, it's not fair. It's not going to be fair. And that's a lot of people's qualms with Carolina. Like if they, if if there's a iffy point right there, they're going to get the benefit of the doubt because of what Doster said with the television dollars, it's going to happen. Like, just go ahead and accept it. If they're close, they're getting in and they'll probably be an eight, nine. So it's like, they don't deserve it right now. They certainly don't deserve it. But if you win, if you beat the rest of the, if, if you win the rest of your games, then you're going to have a shot going up against Clemson. Ken Palm projects that as a loss. That's going to be a tough game at Clemson. They're missing Hunter Tyson. I think it's going to be hard for Clemson to keep up physicality-wise. It's going to be interesting to watch. But Florida State at home, is that a great win this year? Mm-hmm. Not really. Pitt, nope. Virginia Tech, nope. Louisville, Ford, def- how about this? definitely Florida, not.
0: Florida State at home is a quad three win. Pittsburgh yeah. at home is a quad four win. Louisville at home is a quad three win. North Carolina State on the road is only a quad two win if they stay they're 126th in the net right now. They have to stay top 135 in the net. Think about that. Think yeah. about it. there's one quad win, quad one win, uh, I'm sorry, there's two quad one wins left on North Carolina's schedule at Virginia Tech, who is not top 50, and at Duke. They may if they don't beat Duke, they, are they have to they have, the have to
1: win one or two of those. They have to win one or two of those.
2: They're not no. beating Duke. I will. I will buy everybody a round of drinks in New Orleans if they go into Cameron Indoor and beat Duke. I'm define just
0: define everybody. Everybody on the show or everybody in New Orleans.
2: <laughs> if I'm in a bar, I'm dropping a grand. I'm not kidding. Oh,
1: <laughs> big money Fanta.
0: Big let's money go. Fanta. I've never been a bigger Tar Heels fan ever. <laughs> Tar.
1: No, I just, not, I, you never get me I, to do that. But
2: my biggest thing is, my biggest thing is.
1: <laughs> not me, Satan. Not me, Satan. You got 15 seconds. You got 15 seconds. Hurry up.
2: Okay, if we're going to value the net ranking system as much as we value it, and we're going to value quadrant one results, we say that those are those mean the world. If you don't have any, how are we putting you in our field? That's my biggest question here going forward. I think they'll That's, probably make it, but we'll see. I don't know. I, I would it,
1: they'll make it not that doesn't mean they deserve to make it. That's two different things. And
0: here's the thing if they lose any of these games against bad teams, we're gonna have a very different conversation because the only good thing on their resume right now is the fact that they don't have a single bad loss. All right, TO. Take number four. Are you ready for this one? Putting you on the spot here. Kentucky is the
1: best team in the SEC. No. Not yet. I'm still putting Auburn there. And Auburn's still learning because you have to figure out that now you're the team that everybody's circling on their calendar. That's a big deal, especially when you're the number one team in the country and their problems at Georgia were fixable. Like, we're going to, like, I could see Bruce after that game, hey, we got to figure out ways to get Jabari the, the ball at the end of the game. So I do love this Kentucky team. What a fantastic performance they had against Alabama. But, and they're figuring out how to play with each other. It's, it takes a while. I think people forget that. It takes a while. Even with transfers, first-year players of any sort, it takes a while to figure it out. They're starting to figure it out. There's definitely a 1A, 1B situation. But right now, I'm still leaning towards Auburn because of how hard they play consistently. And like we've talked about with Duke, they're going to have the best player on the floor at all times. They need to utilize that best player on the floor at all times. But... It's pretty interesting to watch Kentucky with Keon Brooks and Damian Collins, man, you want to talk about some, uh, sky touching dudes. Those guys are getting off the floor. Damian Collins, that that's a big plus for them. Cause they needed another guy. He needed time, but, uh, big time athlete, big time potential. I hope he stays around. It's going to be interesting, but uh, Oscar she any team with Oscar, Oscar they're going to have a chance against anybody.
0: I just want to, I want to see this game again. Like, I want to see them yeah. play again, like give us, please please college basketball gods give us auburn kentucky for the sec title at that three at the sec tournament title game is that one o'clock tip on uh Mm -hmm. on selection sunday so please sec tournament gods, give us give us kentucky auburn at 1 p.m on selection sunday that's all i ask i don't ask for much fanta i do not ask for much that's all i want in this world
2: uh well, I'm wondering if at some point on these 10 things that you might ask for something in stores, but, but we'll, we'll get to that. Uh, here's the deal. <laughs> Auburn is seven and zero on the road. They're seven and oh. Kentucky. Pretty good. Is, Kentucky's four and three and you have to be able to win off your home court in March. And so because you're seven and zero on the road, the proof is in those numbers. I will still sit here and say that Auburn, although they're actually, lower in the net rankings at number seven Kentucky's up to number four in the net so by the metrics purposes you would probably say Kentucky at the moment and you'd say Kentucky overall but I agree with Terrence here I'm going to go with Auburn stick true to my guns the reason why I think Auburn has a little bit more depth I do think that they they will almost always have the best player on the floor in Jabari Smith but I also look at their rim protection guys rim protection is so crucial in money time situations, and Auburn has it because if it's not Walker Kessler, it's Dylan Cardwell, who might be the one of the more underrated players in the country. He has helped win them games. He has helped get them stops. If they get into foul trouble, how many teams do we talk about when they get into foul trouble, they do not have proper alternative options? Auburn does. You know Auburn who's the does.
0: perfect example of that? Kentucky. Kentucky. Kentucky Kentucky does not have someone to come in for Oscar should what I just want to make say one thing real quick and and it kind of alludes a little bit to what you said earlier is that I trust Kentucky's guards a little bit more than I trust Auburn's guards in the sense that okay they're at Georgia on Saturday afternoon Jabari Smith probably the best isolation player in the SEC maybe the best isolation player in college basketball maybe the best player in college basketball things go right maybe the player of the year Um, he takes seven shots. Katie Johnson Wendell Green take 39 shots yeah Fanta they combine to go four for 16 from three. I trust Kentucky's guards to be able to make uh, better decisions and get the ball where it needs to be a little bit more than I do Auburn's guards that that's my that's my worry now I think both teams are great I think both teams are gonna make the final four and I want to see a rematch um, and I, I think the bet, uh, the 1 A1B for me Fanta but I trust Kentucky's guards a little bit more than I trust Auburn's guards.
2: Yes, I agree with that statement. Uh, I do trust Kentucky's guards more than I trust Auburn's guards, but I trust Auburn overall as a roster more than I trust Kentucky. Sometimes the other thing is, guys, if you attack Sheeboy, if you attack Oscar Sheeboy, and you're able to get two quick ones, what the hell happens to Kentucky's front court? Uh, a lot. I mean, they they, mm-hmm. they they go they go downhill. But I also think that that for Auburn their spurtability factor is greater than Kentucky. Yeah. Like, KD Johnson is such a great player in every way, T.O.
1: He is. Can I say one more thing real quick? Zep Jasper oh, yeah. not playing is – or he's the breaks to Wendell Green to where, <laughs> like, whenever Wendell Green's going nuts, he throws Zep in there. And you know Zep's not going to shoot a ton of shots, but he's going to do everything else, and he's going to get guys involved, and the offense going to move those guys kind of complement each other pretty well because he's more of, I'm going to play defense and initiate the offense, where Wendell Green's like, I'm out here just to get buckets. So I think that's a good, he, he's a good player. He helps them.
0: Yeah. All right. So take number five. We are heading to the Midwest. We are heading to the Big 12. Kansas is the favorite to win that league. I don't think that's arguable at this point. They have a two-game lead on everybody else uh, in the Big 12. But my take, and I'm going to you first on this one, Phantom, Texas tech is the team in that conference that is best built to make a run deep into March hot or not
2: too hot. Yeah. It's, it's too hot on the offensive end of the floor. I do not trust them uh, as much as I can trust Kansas on offense. And I can trust like, I just think Baylor's going through a bad way right now. I, I do. I don't think it's, I don't think it translates to who they actually are. Uh, I think that I, I will say this. I think both Baylor and Kansas's best day is better than Texas Tech's best day. Texas Tech is the best defensive team in this league, in my mind, but I don't I don't trust them in late game situations in the NCAA tournament offensive end of the floor. And the reason why I sit here and say that's too hot of a take is at the end of the day, Kansas has Ochai Akbaji, Texas Tech does not. And Baylor, look. James Akinjo has not been good uh, and was not good this weekend. But, but this, we at the Field of 68 have talked about Akinjo's importance of Baylor and how if he's on, it changes everything for the Bears. So I think Texas Tech is a gutsy team, a team that could make a deep run in the NCAA tournament. I don't want this to be an indictment on Mark Adams and the job he's done with this group. But guys, I feel like I'm forever scarred by that Texas Tech-Tennessee game at Madison Square Garden. Like, it scarred, me. <laughs> it scarred me. I know it's all the way back in December, but it scarred me. I still live those scars. And uh, and I'll tell you, I, I would go, I still think that on their best days, Kansas and Baylor are a little bit better than Texas Tech. That's how I feel about that take.
1: Who who won that game against Tennessee? Terrence? The, the fighting TOs.
2: Yeah, yeah, the they did. fighting Carrot, yeah. I'm so scarred by that game. I'm so scarred <laughs> by that game. I don't even remember who won
0: it. There that wasn't alarm by the way that was Fanta
1: Fanta with with a landline.
0: I don't
1: have, I don't have a landline in my house right now. that's awesome. It kind of brought me back a little bit. H- hey here's here's an interesting thing for you if you want to talk about just strictly Texas Tech, Kansas, uh, Kansas is number one in offense and that during conference play number one in offense, number four in defense. Texas Tech's number one in defense, number four in offense. What are you going to trust more to show up every single night? The defensive defense, portion. Defense. And that team, defensively during the tournament, when it, it can get ugly at times, like they did against Tennessee, they can still find ways to figure it out and win. They're a little bit like what we talked about where we're going here next week. Next week, we're going to Providence to where it could be a different guy every night. Texas Tech's a lot like that, too. And offensively, while Terrence Shannon's trying to get back in his groove. That Texas Tech team, they just have so many different guys that could bother you on a given night. You talked about Kevin McCullough the other night doing a bunch of different things for the team to help them win. They got a lot of guys like that. One night, it could be Adonis Arms. The next night, it could be O'Banner. Offensively, you do worry, but defense carries you through. And with the lineup built like they're built, I don't think there's a single player underneath 210 pounds on that roster that plays. <laughs> That's a big burly bunch and they're going to get after you defensively in March too. Yeah. They, they, so I, I
0: agree with everything you just said. I think they're going to be a nightmare matchup and the way that they play defensively is not an easy thing to prepare for on short rest, which is what you're going to have to deal with in the tournament. Um, I think Bill self is the one guy in all of college basketball that I would pick to coach my team in a uh, tournament style game. I just think that he's magnificent at what he does. Uh, honestly, honestly, a healthy Baylor, to me, is the best-suited team to make a run. Yeah. The problem the problem with yeah. them right now, James Akinjo is coming off a foot injury or an ankle injury. He's not 100%. LJ Cryer has missed a couple of games. He's not 100%. Adam Flagler played the other day. He's not 100%. So now you have your three guys that initiate offense, the guys that are most important to creating the spacing on the floor, the guys that set the players up, the finishers, whether it's JTT or Kendall Brown or Jamie Sohan or whoever, all of the right. guards on Baylor are banged up. Um, I don't know if they're going to be able to get healthy. Like it's very hard to get healthy in the month of February when you're not just sitting out, uh, but and if you're Baylor rushing can... to
1: get back because you want to win the mm-hmm. league. Like you're rushing guys to get back and yeah, it's, it's hard.
0: It's hard. Yeah. So if Baylor can get healthy, then they're the best suited team. I just don't know if they're going to be able to get healthy. And guess what? We finished that one uh, under the clock. All right. So take number six, uh, Tio, you're going to be able to get the first uh, crack at answering this one. We were all wrong about UCLA in the preseason you cannot survive as a team that lives off of tough twos forever. Uh, for the people that don't know, UCLA is coming off of an 0-2 week. They lost at Arizona, and they lost was, – was it a 17 overtime game at Arizona State on, uh, felt on Saturday like, night?
1: It <laughs> <laughs> felt like. <laughs> no, it, guys, it's part of it. – I've been I, I've been saying this all year. They live on tough shots. And when Juzang and Haquez aren't feeling it and you can't really figure things out, it's going to hurt you. Now – I, th- I still think Tiger Campbell can get you through some games, but it's hard, guys. There's so many, there's so much talent dispersed throughout the country this year, and there's more shooting this year dispersed throughout the year because of a lot of transfer ups and things of that nature. They're going to have a hard time with teams that can hit the three over the top, and if they run into the wrong matchup in the NCAA tournament, it could be difficult. Now. They're still one of the most talented teams in the country. Offensively, they still get it done. They still have Johnny Juzang. Jules Bernard has come along as a viable, a very good third option, really, behind those two. They still take a lot of tough shots, a lot of tough shots. They make a lot of tough shots, but you saw what could happen on the road and potentially in a neutral side if those shots aren't falling. They're still top 25 in offense. There's top 15 in defense. Defense is going to carry them. But uh, I would hate to be in a Mick Cronin practice after this past weekend going through Arizona and not being able to do it?
2: Yeah. Timing is everything. And mm-hmm. you knew Arizona had it coming for them. Arizona was going to win that game in Tucson. They played their game like their like their life depended on it. And uh, nearly at the end of the game, they were going in the wrong direction, but they had to win that game. You got to answer. In conference play, when you're in that, double round robin against teams like this particular matchup is between UCLA and Arizona. You get them on your court. They get you on theirs. You think split. Here's my issue. In a triple overtime game, Arizona state did not have a player play over 48 minutes in a 55 minute game. UCLA had three players play 50 minutes in this game. And they're all talented players in Haquez Juzang, and Tiger Campbell. It'd be hard for me to take them off the floor if I was the coach. I, I love all three of them. But where I get concerned about them is that, yes, on the offensive end of the floor, they need Jules Bernard. Jules Bernard is that breakthrough guy. And in this particular game against Arizona State, he goes 2 of 10 from the floor and 1 of 6 from 3. I still buy UCLA. I still think they're a Final Four caliber team. Um, I think if they catch the wrong matchup, they could be susceptible to that. But I think you could say that about a lot of teams. Every in the team. NCAA you could yep. say, exactly, exactly. So for me, guys, this this was more about the Pac-12 schedule and how much I I do not like two games in three days every weekend, especially when you're on the road, that schedule defeats itself. Sean Miller has talked about this on our platform, on the field of 68 this season, that the Pac-12 scheduling at times, when you play two road games in three days, what is it, that Colorado and Utah swing? It's like you, you defeat your own purpose. Sometimes you defeat yourself by scheduling that way. It's hard for teams to come back. You, you play Arizona, it was going to be a gruesome game. It was going to be a war. And it was a war. And Arizona State's played hard. I mean, I'll give them that much. I don't think they're a good team, but I think they play hard. And I thought they did on, on Saturday night. So timing is everything. I still love UCLA. I really do. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I get concerned because they're another team. They need certain things to go right. They have very talented players. Their bench, though, is not very good.
1: Yeah, let me ask not, you. Let me ask you this: Who on that team, besides Tiger Campbell, makes anything easier for anybody else on that roster? Nobody.
0: Nobody. But but that's the way that they live. Like what they are right. a very kind of NBA centric kind of a style in the sense that what they do is they they try to get switches, they attack mismatches, and they find where they're going to have an advantage and go and attack it. And and look, they were awful in the first half at Arizona. Uh, I thought that they were a much better team in the second half than Arizona was, and I thought that they came. You know a couple of miss Cody Riley Riley layups and a couple of miss Tiger Campbell layups away from pulling off the upset there. I think they cut it to three with the ball at one point.
1: And they got beat you know, to death, they got beat to death the entire Arizona game. So, yep, so they got beat to so, death. And they were ti-
0: yeah. I think they were just tired by the end of Arizona State. So I'm not taking too much out of the that loss, but hmm. oh it didn't go off this time.
2: Oh, anyway, a lot the, yeah, this alarm stinks. Terrible alarm.
0: Terrible alarm. All right. So uh yeah, no. Real quick before we go on to, um, to take number seven, which I think this one's going to be a doozy. Uh, Tio, you want to make some money? I always want to make some money. How about you invest it in an exciting asset that's outpaced the S&P 500 by 164% for 25 years? You know what that is? I am talking about art. Masterworks is the new investing app that lets you invest in blue chip paintings from icons like Picasso, Monet, and Andy Warhol without needing millions of dollars. Over 300,000 people have already signed up for Masterworks. So get priority access with our unique promo code. Log on to masterworks.art slash believe. That is masterworks.art, A-R-T, slash B-L-E-A-V. See, yeah, masterworks.art slash believe. See all important disclosures at masterworks.io slash Disclosures. I'll put those links in the description below for you. Uh, but yeah, Masterworks, Invest in Art, T.O. I know you're a money guy. All right, uh, we're going to take number seven. Here we go. Purdue, Arizona, and Kansas. You cannot trust them in March because you cannot trust their point
1: guard play. T.O.,
0: t- is that a hot take?
1: i say, so Purdue, Arizona, and Kansas. Mm-hmm. I think Kansas gets enough done. I I, I worry more so about their five-man, but... That just depends on matchups, too. Uh, Purdue, that's a weird one for me because I think it comes more down to are they going to be able to defend the three whenever they're playing against really good uh, small conference teams? And we all know that they're going to try to pull them out and just shoot over top of them. That's how those teams win. Point guard play, I I worry more so if I had to pick one of the three of who I worried about the most when it comes to point guard play, it would be Arizona. Because I think Kirk Creasa, his uh, susceptibility to emotion is too much to win consistently because he gets way too fired up. Like you love emotion. You love like guys being fired up and all that stuff. But you also have to be able to bring it right back down. You saw his susceptibility when they played at UCLA. You also saw the positive side of that when they played UCLA at home so it's too much like this that's why it makes me really nervous because you have one of those down games and the NCAA tournament gets a really good team you can be put out early if I had to worry about that point guard play matters obviously out of those three I think Purdue can slow it down and figure some things out offensively enough to where you don't have to worry about it I worry more more so about them defending uh, Kansas, Bill Self, Arizona I worry about Kirk Carissa as much as I love him I worry about him
2: yeah, I think it's too hot of a take for Purdue. I think it's it's a good take for Arizona and Kansas. The reason why with Purdue is if I'm in a late-game situation, I say, well, I'm, I'm too talented to totally hinge on my point guard play. Here you go, Jaden Ivey, make a play for me. You're going to be a, a top-five pick. You, you're more than capable of making plays for me. And you look at Purdue from a turnover standpoint – it's not like Eric Hunter Jr. is a, is a turnover problem, um, and, and I, I don't think he is. I mean, I look at what he's done recently for them. It's is not a high turnover rate player. So I don't worry about Purdue from a point guard standpoint because I think that that Jaden Ivey is so, so tough late in games. They can give him the ball. He can find catch-and-shoot weapons like a Stefanovic, uh, or, or if you're playing through the post, Travion Williams is as good of a passer in the post as there is. So I don't worry about Purdue from a point guard standpoint. I worry about Purdue from a defense standpoint.
0: Yeah, it's the it's the defense for me with Purdue. Um, but I'm concerned about all of them. But here's the thing: I, I, there's concerns that I have about every single team in the country. I love Auburn. <laughs> I don't trust their point guard play um, after watching what happened against Georgia. Right? There's definite concerns there for me. Uh, I love Kentucky, but if you get Oscar Sheway in foul trouble, what's uh, what's what's the answer there? Um, I, I gonzaga i love watching them play but you know at the end of the day if you put a bunch of athletes out there what's going to happen uh we've we've seen it twice this year what's going to happen so big strong um,
1: athletes like yeah yeah
0: big strong athletes so i think that it's there are valid concerns i think that there are valid question marks about all three of those teams about their backcourt play about the way that it's going to get used Uh, i don't think there's a guarantee for any of them to make a run in march but there's not a guarantee for any team in college basketball this year Mm -hmm. to be able to make a run in march so uh, that's Again, that's going to be the beauty of it, man. There's there's nobody that you could sit here and pencil into the Final Four. Last year, there, we had two of them. In past seasons, we've had two or three. This year, there's nobody that you could sit there and pencil into the Final Four. And it's yeah. going to make it for a glorious, uh, insane month of March. And not just in the NCAA tournament. The conference tournaments are going to be out of their minds, too. So, I'm looking I can I a- can argue
1: against myself a little bit here because I'm just going to oh, – you boy. said Gonzaga, like, I sit here and look, and and according to what I'm saying, like, Texas Tech would be a matchup nightmare for them because they're big, they're physical, they're switchable, all that stuff, and then Gonzaga thwarted them by 14, like, and it's like.
0: Well, well, here's the thing. I think you need to be able to to run on Gonzaga because I think that for all of the the issues that Chet has, and you need a big body inside, you need to be able to kind of have someone that can beat up Chet a little bit um, in the post if you're going to play a half-court style, or you need to be able to get up and down and run with them and take away the advantage that he provides inside. Because if there's one thing that he does, he makes it so that their perimeter defenders can overplay. And it makes it really tough for teams that are going to kind of like dribble around and try to drive and penetrate. And that's kind of what Texas Tech is. You know what I mean? Does sure. that make sense? Yeah. And the other problem is you could be as big as strong as you want. If you're 6'6", you have no shot against Drew
1: Timmy.
2: <laughs> yeah, know-
1: but Mark Vidal did. Mark Vidal did. That's kind of where I – go crazy with that like he just shoved him away from the bucket couldn't get anything
0: that's such a disappointing
1: it's i know just like just alert. the worst it is what yeah. it is all right
0: uh hot take number eight fans i'm going to you first on this one illinois is a top five team in america right now
2: wow it is unbelievable that you went to me for this one because i was just about to say fellas if i think there's a team in the country that's a matchup nightmare for everybody else it's illinois like that, those words were about it's to listen. Synergy, to the bottom
0: man. Bottom it's the DTF podcast.
2: It is. It's a DTF podcast and DTF is synergy. So Illinois to me is a top five team in the country. They are because you combine. I'm going to start with Trent Frazier. We often don't bring him up until the second or third player that we reach. He is as important of a player to a team as important of a player to a team as any player is to a team in college basketball this season. I mean it. Trent Frazier is big time for the fighting Illini. Kofi Cochburn, There are very few, very few who are going to be able to get him off beat, get him phased, get him rattled. And, and in the event that Kofi Coburn went out of a game, Illinois from the defensive end of the floor is still versatile and, it's, and still has the capabilities to defend you. They did against Michigan State uh, not long ago in Champaign. I actually think they benefit by at times being shorthanded without Copeburn and without Andre Corbello because it forces you to learn more about what you have beyond those two guys. And it gives you that amoeba-like identity that you can change, that if adversity hits you in the face – You're able to handle it. Also, there's a mental aspect here going into the tournament. They absolutely know that they got embarrassed. They got embarrassed by Loyola Chicago last year, who was able to form a matchup against them that nobody else really could have in that particular way. Mm -hmm. The Fighting Illini are a top five team in the country, and I am buying them as much as I'm buying anybody in the ability to make a deep, deep run in March Madness.
1: I completely agree with your assertion that Trent. Williams – sorry, Trent. Uh, Trent. Trent Yeah, dude, brain fart, Williams, yeah, dude, brain fart of exactly. this, dude. I, I'm I'm prone to a brain fart or two. That's about the worst one I've had. Uh, Trent Fraser as say being, Trent Dilfer. Yeah, that would have been. <laughs> <laughs> brother, brother, and balding. Brother and balding. Uh, look, Trent Frazier, uh, He he settles them down. Like that's a team that was wild under Andre Curbello and. That's- Trent Frazier settles them down, he gets them in their offense and they find the right spot to get to. And he's been a pretty good passer as well. Goodman alluded to it on the show the other night, like he gets to spots and you got to have guys that get to spots. That's where Curbelo provides so much value is his ability to get to spots off the dribble. He's been too wild. Trent Frazier can get the spots, and he still plays off two feet, still finds his guys. This team doesn't shoot it as well as they did at points last year. At least some other guys haven't. Uh, Demonte Williams was absurd last season. He's only about 34.5% this year. But for the most part, they have weapons, and they can spread you out so far and throw it into the big man down low. Kofi Coburn, legitimate player of the year candidate. Uh, Top five team depends on the night. It depends on the night.
0: I, I think I would add another hot take into there. And I would say that they are better with Trent Frazier at the point than they are with Andre Curbelo being more than like a 10 to 12 minute guy off the bench. Uh,
1: I don't know that players. that's a hot take. I think we've seen that.
0: Yeah. For well, like, for, yeah. For, for, there's, there's a couple of reasons for it. One, uh, Trent Frazier plays both ends of the floor. He'll defend. Mm. He's, he's a really, really good defender Two, uh He shoots it. and Curbelo, you don't have to, you don't have to guard him. And three, mm. he can be, he can make an impact with the ball in his hands and with the ball at the floor. And I think that the value of Coburn, the the fact that Coburn's out there is what makes that all work. Because when you put him in a ball screen, he commands so much attention that Trent Frazier really doesn't have all that much to do, right? The the decision-making process when you're Trent Frazier coming off a ball screen is like, okay, there's 17 guys helping off of defenders. Which one of these wide open shooters do I want to give the ball to? Or nobody's helping off. So let me just throw the ball up to the big fella because nobody can stop that mountain of a man in the basket, like having Kofi Coburn makes your life so easy as a point guard running a ball screen.
2: Yes. By the metrics, we talked about that Fox sports graphic that Tio alluded to at the top 20 and Ken Palm, and that, that you have to be in the top 20. Illinois is one of only nine teams in college basketball in the top 21 in adjusted offense and defense stretched a little bit, but they're the only team in the big 10. You could say that about Purdue is 106 in Ken Palm defense. Illinois is 21. Illinois That's defense. Illinois defense.
1: Hey, d- does Illinois have the same problem that Kentucky does, though? If Sheewe fouls out, they're in trouble. Or gets in foul trouble, they're in trouble. If no. Coburn fouls out, they're in trouble.
2: No, they don't. They don't. They've learned how to play without him. Bozeman's Verdant uh, is someone that, that can play defensively inside. Mm-hmm. Branderson's another guy. Like they have guys that can stand in and play defense and and rebound the basketball well enough. Kentucky yep. after Sheeway,
0: yep. Omar Payne's in there too. Coleman Hawkins is, you know, he's Coleman. kind of fallen off a little bit, but he's had his moments. Yeah. So I, I agree. Yeah. There. All right, all right, Fanta, it's your time to shine, baby. Number nine. Woo! The Mountain West is a four bid league, and Wyoming is the best team in that conference. Take it away. Go ahead.
2: I'm saying yes. They have they have four NCA tournament teams. Hunter Maldonado is big time. The reason why they have four teams in is because this league knows how to schedule. Okay, they went and challenged themselves in out of league play. That's often a big nick on on outside of the Power Six leagues. The Mountain West scheduled. If you take a look at their metrics and take a deep dive, you'll see teams in the top. 45 of the net rankings they're in good standing from a net perspective and we are seeing these teams what what makes a great league to when your metrics are in a pretty solid place and then sometimes you're beating one another but that helps the overall strength of your league this is a four-bit conference to me uh when you think about it we're, we're talking about wyoming we're talking about colorado state we're talking about san diego state and who am i missing
0: Boise State
2: we're talking about Boise State as well it's guaranteed three I think it should be four uh the Mountain West Conference has done its part and done its job of when you say how do we get the most teams we can possibly get into the NCAA tournament combined with the fact that guys it's a down year in the ACC the Atlantic 10's not deep there have been some years where the A-10 sent in four or five teams. There have been when they're having a great year. They're not yep. They're, not they're not a good league this year and on that level. So the doors crept open for the Mound West team to be able to capitalize. And that's exactly what we're seeing. Yes,
0: yeah, so there are six teams in that conference that are ranked inside the top 60 in the net. Uh, there are four teams in that league that are ranked in the top 50 in the net. Uh, Wyoming went on the road after beating Colorado State and Boise State at home beat Fresno state on the road on Sunday night. That is a quad one victory for wow. the Cowboys. I mean, that's, that, that's really what it is. Uh, I think that uh, you're right in saying that there's definitely going to be three, uh, four is going to depend on how things kind of break out. Like does San Diego state lose a dumb road game at, uh, I don't know, like New Mexico or something like that. Do they take a bad loss to San Jose state? There's a couple, couple landmines in that league that you kind of have to dodge, but um to your point, they did a great job scheduling, and they did a great job making sure that they have really good computer numbers. At the end of the day, that's what you need. A T.O., I know you hate it. I know you're not an analytics guy, but there's going to be 10 people in a room making these decisions based off of those numbers. And and to put it perfectly, it was, was it Thursday night? What after dark did we have you on doing
2: the uh, the blind resume test, Fanta? Well, we did prome and Randolph Childress, and we put up Wyoming versus North Carolina. And both Randolph and Prom are like, it's Wyoming. Why, you know, they pick team two. And I go, team two is Wyoming. Team one is North Carolina. And Randolph goes, and I love Randolph. I love doing the after darks with him. He, I've I really <laughs> enjoyed doing stuff with him this season. Randolph's like, well, Carolina's going to find a way. They're going to make it. <laughs> yeah. and, and he was adamant saying that. But I don't know. I, I, you know, what do you, what say you, T.O.? Uh, I'm you got about. T-
0: they- you got about 20 seconds, Theo. So knock this. All one right, out they, they
1: should not. They Carolina. If it comes between them and Wyoming, Wyoming should definitely have it. Let's not forget. If we're talking strictly about Wyoming or Boise State, Boise State's got the number seven defense in the country. Those dudes defend, and they've done a nice job picking it up. 15 and one in their last 16, and they split with Wyoming. Keep that in mind. They split with those guys too.
0: Yep. Last thing I'll say: Hunter Maldonado and Graham Ek. Those are the kind of guys that you want if you're a 12 seed looking to pull off an upset in the first round. All right, here's the last one I got for you. And I know that this is going to make me a very popular man in the state of Rhode Island. But I'm going to read you off the uh, the power rankings. According to our favorite uh, favorite numbers analyst, according to Kempom, the power rankings in the Big East goes like this. Uh, Villanova is number one. They're number 10 in Kempom. UConn is number two. They are 18th. In Kempom. Right now, the number three team in the Big East on Kempom is Marquette at 23. Right yeah. now, the number four team in the Big East on Kempom is Xavier. They're 26th. Right now, the number five team in the Big East on Kempom is Seton Hall. They are 37. Providence, therefore, is the sixth best team in the Big East. Fanta? What's the take? Providence is the sixth best team in the Big East.
2: It's That's not really a act- take,
0: it's backed That's up act- by facts. Is-
2: that's absolute hot garbage Um, (laughs) that that is a pile of steaming hot garbage like that was such a bad that's such a bad take that i wasn't even paying attention to it that's how bad of a take that is now we all know at this point that that or at least friartown please let me address all of you there in friartown terrence oglesby's coming to your beautiful town next tuesday Treat this Southern man with a lot of respect. Welcome him with open arms. Give him marinara sauce and, <laughs> and teach him about Big East basketball. That being said, you still can welcome Robert Dolster. Some know him in store as Bobby <laughs> D. Bobby D. Who did ask a question last week on After Dark as Bobby D. And Jeffrey Goodman apparently is coming next Tuesday. Welcome him in. don't, don't have him wait out in the car. Providence is not the sixth best team in the Big East okay they are absolutely a, a top three team in the Big East and I and some people might be mad at me in Friar Chan for saying that uh, but look 20 and two at a certain point we have to to stop with if there's still someone that's like firmly riding the their really fortunate wagon like one. That's part of this season. We went through a really bad three-, four-week COVID surge that altered some schedules. But also, the other team's trying to win, too. The other teams are trying to win, too. And Providence has quality wins against high-caliber competition that was at full strength. Just see that win over Marquette last Sunday. Marquette has lost one game in the last month. It was to Providence. And they beat Providence by 32 in the first meeting. That should tell you the kind of coaching job Ed Cooley's done at Providence. The reason why Providence is one of the best teams in the Big East, if not the best team in the Big East, is because they are experienced. Their top six players have accounted for over 600 games. They are really good in closing time. They don't have a Big East player of the year candidate. They don't. But the sum is greater than the parts. Al Durham, the Indiana transfer, has been sensational in being a playmaking guard. Jared Bynum, that's helped him be himself. It's alleviated the pressure off of Bynum. Nate Watson – He holds things down in the front court. And we know, guys, what's the key? If Watson has foul trouble, they can go to Ed Croswell, who's had a good season off the bench for this team, averaging close to 10 points and like six, seven rebounds a game. The Providence Friars are a team that metrics absolutely hates. But they're an experienced team that's going to play where you down basketball. And for that reason, they are the top team in the Big East standings. They're one of the best in this league. And they're going to get a very nice seat on Selection Sunday. Very and nice. I think they're a real tough out. I really do.
1: The, the hole is greater than some of its parts. That's about as good as you could put it with this Providence team. They have a bunch of different guys that could get you on a given night. Like Jared Bynum against Georgetown went berserk. And one might say, well, he hasn't been all that all year. After that game, he's shooting 45.5% from three. Like, pretty good. Here's the thing with this Providence team. Their metrics aren't going to be great because they're not going to score a ton of points every single night. I feel like this is an adaptable roster, but Ed Cooley can really coach in a half court, and that's where they're going to thrive. The bottom line is it doesn't matter where the metrics are as long as you win, and they're, they, don't, they don't win beautiful. It's just hard-nosed basketball for all 40 minutes. No, Nate Watson – He can. there's a cumulative wear down towards the end of the year. He's banging down low, he's banging down low, he's banging down low. Eventually, you can keep up in the first half, but then your bigs have three fouls apiece. Even the guy comes off the bench is in foul trouble. So eventually there's going to be some issues. I like the fact that Noah Horkler can step out and pull guys away from the bucket. Al Durham, he wasn't great against Georgetown, but he's been good here this season. He's had some big free throws for them. Don't you do that to me. I just, got, I just got to talk about the Providence Friars. Are you kidding me? I just started. I just right. started. It is, it's, the, 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 it, it's a different guy on a given night. They defend. They're rugged. They have some depth. They don't have elite depth, but they have some. And then Justin Minaya, who does basically everything else. You can have certain guys lead you in scoring certain nights, but Justin Minaya is one of the best defenders in the country. I think that's a big part of it too. I'm so excited to get up there to watch that game against Villanova. I hope I hope that Providence takes care of business coming up against DePaul and then it's going to be an atmosphere up there at the dunk. It sure is. Oh.
0: And yeah, for the record, I think that the the Kempom numbers, there were a couple of years where like Pitt and Wisconsin would, there, there would just be weird things and weird quirks in the way that the, uh, the formula that he uses are put together. So those teams would end up being like Uh, top five teams in the metrics and um, and like top 25 teams overall so sometimes there's just teams where the metrics don't pick up everything perfectly that makes them good and I think Providence is definitely one of those teams this year Uh, but listen this has been the hot take hold on what are you saying what are you saying what are you
1: saying right now Dawson are you saying you're jumping on the on the Friars bandwagon is that what you're doing I've never been off the
0: Friars bandwagon. I've just enjoyed oh, okay. trolling the hell out of these guys on on Twitter. Like it's just, it's. I thought it's you were so going to dig your me. heels in, like. <laughs> no, 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 no. You know, it's it's it, it's so easy. It's so easy to needle them to get them all fired up. <laughs> I mean, they're all. You're twenty and two in February.
1: You they're the best team in the Big East right now. Right now they are. Yeah, they just continue I, to win. You got to win, and they're winning. Like forget I, all the. Mentors. I would. I would think that
0: I would. I would pick Marquette as the best team in the Big East. But yes, they're they're. They're very, very good. But listen, this has been the DTF podcast. So for John Fanta and for Terrence Ogles, my name is Rob Doster. We will see you guys again next